welcome to Cinebabble episode 34. I am your host, Ken, and as always, my gorgeously handsome co-host, Clint Jones. Clint, tell the world hello through that pretty face. <laughs> I'm going to take that compliment straight to the heart. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate yeah, no it. No problem. Do you know what my kid did this week? There, it could be numerous things. I know. I know the history of this child. I know. So. And I, I don't mean to turn this always at the open into a what my kid did now podcast, but... <laughs> My kid decided he was going to order Arby's, and he decided DoorDash. Right. And after he had compiled his order and, and he was willing to get me one roast beef sandwich, mm -hmm. his order total came to $40. And I had a small <laughs> meltdown. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, $40, boy. We, right. No, we are not spending $40 so you can DoorDash Arby's. And so he started deleting some stuff off of there, and it was still expensive. And I said, no, you're going to run to Arby's. And he said, well, you know, can't, can't we just do it this once? And I said, no. And as he's looking at his account, he said, well, I'll just use my card. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, uh, which card is your card? And he said, the one that ends in, and he read off these four numbers. Right. And it occurred to me, that's my <laughs> check card. <laughs> Can I see said, where this might be going? Hold on. Yeah. What do you mean? So... Uh, side note, mm -hmm. I've been bleeding money and I haven't been able to figure out why. <laughs> so I went to my bank account and granted, I, I don't, my, my account is the fun account. Yeah. My wife's account pays the bills, So it's not that big of a deal. I always have a cushion in there, but I was noticing, man, this cushion just deflates a lot faster than it ever has. Mm -hmm. I stopped somewhere back around mid July, going back through charges when I had added up about a thousand dollars. God. In DoorDash <laughs> charges. One day it was it was McDonald's, KFC, some random delivery from CVS. Who knows what that was? Uh and and he genuinely felt bad. He did not realize he thought it was attached to his account. Mm -hmm. Uh so I I did not murder my son. But uh my goodness, Clint, do you keep track of your purchases? Me personally? Yeah. No, my wife does really well. Okay, but to I the scent? Uh, no. Is she one of those people? Maybe not to the scent, but okay. also I don't make purchases like that. Occasionally okay. I'll make one big purchase on something I really want, right. but I'm not a DoorDash or a Grubhub person. I am person. not either, but I highly recommend if you're ever bleeding money, I don't know, look at your bank account. Yeah. It's probably pretty important. Well, I don't have a child who's just sucking up all those funds. Yeah, so. I thought it would be, I thought I had everything locked down. Like we have an iTunes password, so we can't just yeah. purchase random apps and, and all that kind of stuff. But DoorDash. Hmm. DoorDash. Yeah, I remember, wasn't there a point where he came home and he had DoorDash Gatorade or something? Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. from like CVS and you're oh, like, yeah. it was yeah. like $30. Yeah. And yeah, apparently that's all been going on my check card. <laughs> but anyway, uh, now that I've stopped the bleed of finances for my house, hmm. what you watching about, Clint? Ken, I'm going to keep it sweet and short. Ooh. I have one thing that I watched of okay. note. Um, besides a lot of Last Man on Earth, which has been <laughs> soothing our souls recently. Um, so the one thing I watched was a little horror drama flick called My Heart Won't Beat Unless You Tell It To. You told me about this. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't aware of it. I was listening to a podcast and one of the hosts on that had mentioned it and was raving about it. So uh, I checked that out and it follows this um, family, uh, br two brothers and a sister, and the younger brother is um, ailed with some kind of disease of some sort. Um, and the two 
siblings have to quench his thirst for blood <laughs> by going out at night to kill to feed him. And he's like very sick and he can't really fend for himself. And I guess you could kind of guess what that disease might be. Um, COVID-19. Yes. Later stages That's of COVID-19. Yes, it, it does make people hunger for blood. Yeah. Um, luckily, I haven't experienced that yet. That's but good. That's good. I'm hoping to one day. That's good. Um, so it follows this family, and it has um, Patrick Fugit, um, who plays Dwight, and he's from Almost Famous. Yeah. You probably would recognize mm-hmm. him. Pops up here and there in smaller things, but he's always really good. I remember he was in... Um, was it Gone Girl? I think he plays like a detective. Was it Gone Girl? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was. Because he's the one that's very skeptical of, of Nick, right. of Ben Affleck's character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he always pops up in these small roles lately, but he's always really good. So it was cool seeing him in this main role and just to um, kind of really flex his acting chops. And uh, so it was really good. It's it It's... It is a horror movie, but it's really subtly done. I'd say it's like um, reminded me kind of like Let the Right One In, where it, the horror is kind of on the edges. And it's more about this, like in that it's about this friendship that's formed. And this is about this family trying to cope with this illness. And it kind of really plays on like, you know, real world events where like trying to, you know, pay the bills while mm-hmm. a loved one is experiencing mm-hmm. illness and you can't really balance both. And where is that? Where can I find this? I, I rented it on Amazon. Okay. It's like, you know, a $6.99 one. So yeah. um, cool. I highly recommend it. It really does a really good job of balancing the drama and the horror and making it feel real. And I feel like a lot of the best horror can do that where it makes okay. it feel real world and um, I don't know, just bal- it just rooted in something real. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, I, that's really out. all I had. Um, what have you been watching about? I have been watching. Well, funny story. Yes, I I went to watch uh, on, Ted Lasso? on Apple. I went to watch Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. and I started the first episode. And I, I guess I just wasn't adequately prepared because all of a sudden I woke up and it was back at the menu, and I watched <laughs> the entire first episode. And it was no fault of Ted Lasso's at all. Mm-hmm. I was just exhausted. Yeah. So the next night I set out and I was like, okay, I promised Clint I was going to watch Ted Lasso. I'm going to watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> and so I sat down, I pulled up the menu, and unfortunately uh, drowned in the wonderful, wonderful world of Schmigadoon. <laughs> You're enjoying Schmigadoon? Oh, my goodness, Clint. <laughs> oh, good. It's I'm only three episodes because yeah. my wife is watching it with me. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure I would have torn through all six. Yeah, yeah. It is delightful. I know. <laughs> it is so much fun. And it is just, it's not, I, I, I love that it's not trying to be laugh out loud every second. It's yeah. really a concept comedy. Right, right. And I just had the dopiest grin mm-hmm. the whole time I'm watching this thing. Mm-hmm. And it just, I'm I'm just to where they're starting to figure out the mechanics of this musical world. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you haven't heard us talk about Schmigadoon or haven't heard of Schmigadoon, it's about this couple that accidentally wander into this magical realm that is a 1940s Wizard of Oz style musical. Mm-hmm. And they find out from this leprechaun <laughs> played Martin by Short. Martin Short <laughs> at knee height that the only way that they can leave Schmigadoon is if they find true love, which is a surprise to them because they're a couple yeah. and they thought they had true love. This thing, 
Oh my goodness. So <laughs> I, I apologize for breaking my promise about Ted Lasso. That's okay. Uh, I hope you get around to it, but I'm glad you did experience Schmigadoon. I'm going to finish Schmigadoon and then I'm going to Ted Lasso. But oh my goodness. What? Just no other word comes to mind but delight. Yeah. The songs just, are really good and fun. And, and funny. It, and it, low really key funny. funny. Yeah. And it, um, and it pushes the story forward. Yeah. And my, my favorite aspect, my, my favorite jokes, the one that really register every episode is just that clash of modern ideals or modern sensibilities right. yeah, yeah. with 1940s yeah. sensibilities. Especially um, with them being doctors and yes. they're trying to balance like what they're doing there. Yes. And, yeah. and just some of the things about what's, what's appropriate to say or do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, between genders and things like that, it just it cracks me up every time. Uh, so highly recommend that. That's that's quite fun. Uh, and then on Amazon, I discovered that Primal has a second season. Um, oh right! Did it's, you have you seen the second season? I of haven't watched it yet. I believe it's actually just a continuation of the first season. Yes. Um, I have not because I. I so much love the first one. I'm like, kind of like, I don't want to do it yet. It's incredible. I, I've heard. It's great. Yeah. And it's it's only five episodes, mm-hmm. I think. But it's just somehow they they continue to just do exactly what they did in the first season. Yeah. But just expand that world and expand the relationship between uh, the... Man and beast. Yes. <laughs> but it's so good. And I, I, you know, I'm already a sucker for the animation. Yeah. But the fact that for for a completely dialogue-free show, mm-hmm. they still manage to mine such character and story oh, yeah. depth. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's fantastic. And the very first episode kicks off where you don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. It, it drops you right in the middle. But the the dinosaur is kind of down and out. And the caveman is is essentially trying to nurse him back to health while fending off predators and vultures right. and things like that. Hmm. And it's just this little survival story, but it's it's like the part two of a part one you never get to see. <laughs> it's like, what a way to kick off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, highly recommend that. It it did not disappoint. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I, th- I think the only downside was when I got to the end, it, w- it ends on a cliffhanger. And then I go to the next episode, and there's no next episode. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I wish I would have known it was only five. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely worth the time. Yeah, that got me to go back through. Like I'm still working my way through um, Samurai Jack, mm-hmm. the same creator of that, and it just it's really like interesting that there's a lot of that in that show too. Just yeah. a lot of silence and telling the story through action and uh, movement. And it's a, such an interesting way to, especially for like a cartoon yeah. that is meant, it's like on um, oh, a cartoon network. It's not even yeah. like an adult swim show at that time. It's really cool. Well, and it lends itself to animation. You would think right. there would be more animation like that mm-hmm. uh, just because you can be so expressive and you right. can do so much with it. Uh, but Highly recommend. It's very good. And then the the only other thing I, I watched, uh, this one definitely, unfortunately, was this action flick on Amazon Prime, one of their exclusive Amazon Prime movies called Jolt. I saw with that. What's, you, you watched Kate it Beckinsale? or you just saw? No, I watched the trailer and I was okay. like, no, this is not for me. <laughs> it is. Yes, it's Kate Beckinsale. And it is if you took Lucy... Uh-huh. Uh, which, you know, is yeah. fairly entertaining, guilty yeah. pleasure kind of flick. If you took that and stripped of it, uh, everything that that worked and made it worth watching that movie, right. even though that movie has its own problems. Yeah. And Jolt just felt, hmm. it, it just kind of limps along. Yeah. And it never quite gets 
uh, any flow to it. I also actually, that reminds me, I also watched Gunpowder Milkshake on, on Netflix. Did you see it? I've seen it on there and I've, I've contemplated watching it. Because it has a lot of people I like. It has a lot of people I like, yeah. but it too, there's something about the action and and the flow of everything in both of those movies where it feels like somebody trying to mimic a John Wick right. type of experience. Yeah, yeah. But the choreography and, and maybe the performances and there's just something off. Mm-hmm. It feels a little too stocky, a little too rigid. Right. And it just feels like people trying to approximate that very slick and smooth action motion. Yeah, right. Without really getting it. And then that that just makes it a little more glaring when it gets very comic booky or pulpy or mm-hmm. when there are giant plot holes or just things that normally you would skip past if your brain's really engaged. But once your brain's not engaged, they're both movies where, man, I just, my brain picked them apart the whole time and, and I didn't enjoy it. Right. Yeah. I feel like I've seen something in that realm of filmmaking recently where like if the choreography for the action isn't quite right it, yeah. and you can see the like stop and start of motion, yeah. it really pulls you out of it. Yeah. And, I, and I felt like when I saw the trailers for both of those, that it might be the case for those. And the more I watched it, I, I really, I think one of the things watching movies that we take for granted is a a really good editor right because yeah. there it's split second mm-hmm. and it's it's hair thin but there's there's something especially with action as to when one shot cuts to the next mm-hmm. that you can really imply speed right and movement yeah, or yeah. it and i think that's why it's so hard to really put your finger on it when you see it and it's it feels kind of just off mm-hmm. i really think it's that editing isn't it just needed tightened up a little bit more. Hmm. And I'm sure that starts with, you know, the DP on set. They need to know what they're shooting. They need to have it planned out. They need to be working with an editor. So it's probably the entire process. Right. But at each point, you lose a, you know, just a microsecond. But those microseconds add up. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of an entire action scene, it just, I don't know. And then, you know, you also, there are just some performers like a Keanu Reeves who will go out and just destroy their bodies. Tom Cruise is another one. <laughs> yeah. For months at a time mm-hmm. just to get uh, a fight scene really convincing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I don't know that every production and every actor has that ability, especially once you start cycling in stunt performers and regular actors and all of that. So I, I don't know. I think they're just two films, Jolt and Gunpowder Milkshake, that something along the way just kind of gummed up the works, mm. just slows it down enough that it just doesn't doesn't sizzle. Yeah. So sometimes like when I see Kate Beckinsale, like I'm always like really baffled by her career path because just from where she started off and now Mm -hmm. she's just stuck in like the underworld Mm -hmm. franchise and doing things like this. And maybe she just really loves action movies and doing that. Um, and that's just her thing, but it's just like sometimes I'm like, it's just, I didn't really expect that for her. Well, and I mean, not that I expected anything, but it's just like, Oh, that's interesting. Route. Both films, the, the casts are are great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have really good uh, ensembles in in each of them and really high pedigree actors. But it it just, it really, it feels a, a little beneath them. It feels a little direct to video. Mm. Um, and it's sort of like after Pulp Fiction came out and you had uh, this kind of string of Two Days in the Valley and Lucky Number Slevin and some of these other movies. Right. You know, they each have some things that are good in their own right, but you could tell that they were trying to capture the magic of an of an earlier film from another director, mm. but they were doing much more approximation work rather than actually uh, 
connecting with their story or, or really um, doing something new or or just visually arresting. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I feel like True Romance kind of fell in that too. I don't know if that was before. Or... True Romance was a Tony Scott film and it was written by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, a okay. lot of people have a lot of love for True Romance. Yeah, I never I, had any. I've always had problems with it. Uh, it, it. It doesn't quite click with me. Mm-hmm. And that's ironic. It feels like one that somebody's trying to be Tarantino. And it is Tarantino. And it is Tarantino. <laughs> and so it's like, well, it, it's hard to criticize yeah. for that. But it almost feels like it was a – I can't remember if it came out before Pulp Fiction oh, okay. or after. But either way, it feels like a precursor, almost yeah. like a draft mm. of what he wanted to do with Pulp Fiction where you kind of jump around to these different stories and characters. And um, it just – it's it, – it's never a film that's really come together for me. Yeah. Well, it might because he didn't direct it. Like mm-hmm. that was just missing that ingredient to really yeah. push it into Tarantino land. That's maybe. Maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's quite possible. Well, today we have three reviews. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Green Knight, The Suicide Squad, both that start with the. It's not just Green Knight or Suicide Squad, different movies. The yeah. Green Knight. That's a very good observation squad. you made there. Thank you. And then our Sinatron <laughs> pick from last week, which I swear to you, the number of times— I want times... you to tell me what the name is, and don't even look at your phone, because you've had such a hard time. <sighs> Clint, <laughs> I was just going to admit to the fact that I was having a hard time all week remembering the name of this movie. I went and watched this movie, mm-hmm. and still afterwards had a hard time remembering the name of this movie— and honestly, when we get to it, what you will find, I am even having a hard time sitting here right now remembering what happened in this movie. Mm-hmm, uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I think we're alone now <laughs> is the title without any hints. See how I did that? I'm a professional. You are very good at your job. So we're going to talk about The Green Knight, The Suicide Squad, and... <laughs> okay. I think we're alone now. Yes. There it is. There you go. There it is. Uh, so let's start with the Green Knight. Uh, the Green Knight. Uh, we both went uh, and had a, a fairly decent theatrical experience. I think it, it wasn't too bad. It was a little on the crowded side. Uh, it was strangely crowded yeah. in a way because it the the theater wasn't really crowded, but somehow they all con- congregated in our row. Yes, and I yes. don't understand that. I, I don't either, especially when you can look and and pick your seats ahead of time. Yeah. I, you know, but okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a decent theatrical experience, and we were in a new theater. It was, it was nice. Uh, so there weren't a lot of distractions. And I, I went into The Green Knight expecting kind of a headier piece and expecting to be kind of a, you know, my my brain kind of taken in, in a little bit of a circle because it's from director uh, David, David Lowry. Lowry. And he did... Um, uh, a, ghost a ghost story, story um, Ain't Them Body Saints, mm-hmm. The Old Man and the Gun, and he did the um, Pete's Dragon film yeah. for Disney. And, and all of those films fall into a genre, but they all defy that genre. And I mean, Pete's Dragon is probably the most accessible uh, yeah. just because it's a family film. But when, especially when you look at his other ones, he is, he is not a filmmaker that wants to make it easy. No, he audience. does his own thing. He, he definitely yeah. does his own thing. And so going into The Green Knight, I, w- I was braced for that. But I, I don't think I was braced appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute. The Green Knight tells the story of Sir Gawain of the Round Table. And in this story, uh, they they pronounce it... Uh, Gawain? Gawain. Yeah, I, I was reading up about yeah. it and it seems like a lot of people say yeah. it different ways. And he's not yet a knight. And uh, he's in uh, at a dinner with he's his. He's a day. 
He's what? He's a day. He's a day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the dad You're welcome joke, for Claire. derailing. I'm very good at dad jokes. He's He's in with Arthur, and they're having uh, a dinner Christmas. Uh, on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. uh, celebrating kind of the Christmas holiday. And in comes this magical, uh, you know, oaken knight mm-hmm. um, and lays down this challenge for, for any knight to essentially come and give him a blow. And then a year from then... Uh, that knight has to come and receive the same uh, blow back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gawain steps up and uh, decapitates the knight. Uh, this mystical knight stands up, kind of laughs at him, rides off laughing, and says, one year hence. And thus begins the film. And it's it's really a quest story uh, about, about Gawain kind of going out into the world and kind of tracking down the green knight and learning a whole lot about himself. Right. Clint, what did you think about this movie? Well, I'm a big fan of David Lowry. I have loved um, Ain't the Body Saints and um, The Man of the Gun and A Ghost Story. I was super excited about this. Uh, I'd seen the trailer probably over a year now before mm-hmm. COVID. We had probably talked about it. We were yep. both super st- uh, psyched to see this. Um, so then it finally came out. And I'm really glad that we went and saw it in the theater. It was really, that was my first theater experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was glad that was my uh, reintroduction to that world. Um, but getting to how I felt about it, I really liked it. I did. And I, um, it's one that stuck with me through this, through the rest of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about it. And there's a lot of things I watch and I feel like the next day I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah. And so if something can stick around and stay in my my noggin for a little while and bounce around, I I feel like it's worth something and it's worthwhile. And this is one where the whole, it was a roller coaster for me because I had expectations too. I mean, I feel like I was I don't know what I was expecting because I've seen all his other films. And there's point like halfway through where I'm not quite sure how I'm feeling about it, mm-hmm. but there's a turn towards the end, which we'll get to, I'm sure, mm-hmm. where it really turned me around on it and it just kind of clicked into place for me. Mm. And I went home and I rewatched a ghost story because I feel like out of all his movies, that one really sums up kind of his mission statement as a filmmaker because it like... It, I'm sure it's very polarizing to people because that movie plays with time in weird ways and it makes you suffer through moments in these people's lives and you have to work for that film. And I feel like this did the same thing in a lot of ways and it really it really pushed his filmmaking forward and it expanded and it made it kind of to a larger market. Like it really, I think he's going to be one of those directors that's just going to be continuing to grow. And it's really cool to see that with each film, he's progressing and the films are getting bigger and more expansive. And it's, yeah. So, and overall, I, I really liked it and I'm really excited to see it again. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at. And it's, it's definitely not a general audience's no, kind of which is strange that that's kind of how it feels like it's marketed. Yes, it's it's marketed that way. It's even shot that way. I mean, it's it's a it's an expensive looking flick. It looks really good. Yeah, and especially from the trailers, I think my biggest concern is this: this may have lured in a lot of people that are not not prepared 
or or not equipped or just don't enjoy this kind of film. Yeah. This is a film that immediately afterwards, I think what I said to you is, I don't know if I liked or didn't like that movie. <laughs> I know it was really good. Yeah. But I don't know if I enjoyed it. Mm. And the whole night I thought about it, and it was a movie that sent me out of there making me feel like I want to go do my homework. Mm. And anything, for me, that's a blast. Yeah, yeah. I love coming out of a movie and thinking, I need to do some homework and then see that again. Mm-hmm. That's that's the kind of movie where it's it becomes more of an experience. Yeah. Uh, the, and, and the kind of movie I end up having kind of a relationship with. Yeah, yeah. In, instead of a movie I just watch, process, and walk away from. And neither one is right or wrong. Both of them can be very good. Uh, but but this one, I, I guess I just wasn't anticipating how much of that process. And so I came out of there and uh, just tapped back into old literary days uh, <laughs> when I was a literature major, which, by the way, uh, gets you nowhere in life. Well, nowhere. I mean, if you want something less, I mean, go for an art career. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so art majors and, and literature majors, we feel your pain uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was a literature major once upon a time. And so I was just like, I cracked my knuckles and, and sat down and went back to the original story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read an English translation of the entire yeah, yeah. poem cause I'm an absolute nerd and, uh, then just read all kinds of commentary on it. Yeah. And oh my goodness, the, the first thing I came out of this stupid homework assignment feeling <laughs> Was that this is an incredible adaptation? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this this is a not just a faithful adaptation because in a lot of ways it it plays with some of the Arthurian themes, mm-hmm. but it it really Lowry really had a handle on not just how to take an ancient poem and interpret it for the screen and and to make it uh, disarming and haunting and and kind of engaging, but he also found a way to really tap into some modern oh, right. ideas yeah. and to, I, I found myself as I was processing it, realizing I, I'm pretty sure that, that what he's really doing is he's asking, uh, people, uh, you know, from just say a nation that, I don't know, thinks it's the greatest nation on the, the face of the earth. Australia? It, sure, sure. Okay. It's asking Australians to reflect <laughs> on the idea that it's very easy to think you are honorable and noble, but mm-hmm. when faced with actual tests of honor and nobility, you may find that your You're actions— failure? <laughs> yes, that your actions do not broadcast the same thing yeah. as you're claiming. And that's really what this movie is about. This is about this guy who— is desperate to be a legend, desperate to be a hero, desperate to have a story. And and he's the one that then comes up with bravado to take this night's challenge. Mm-hmm. But then he gets out into the real world and very quickly realizes... He's not willing to do any of the things no. to actually get there. No. Yeah. No. And and so the original poem uh, had this chivalrous code, and it was all built around this. And it's represented in that pentangle, that, right. that star I that know. they're all wearing. I started reading—I did—I uh, wa- mean, I read this um, mm-hmm. Vox article that— they interview a literary yep. scholar who is like specializes in medieval um, poetry. Yep. And he brought that up and instantly my mind flashed to that. Yep. And it was just like in a lot of things that he was talking about in that article, 
just two moments in the film, I'm like, wow, okay, that was in there, that was in there, yeah. that was in there. And it was so really, it was really interesting. I read in an interview with a literary scholar and he made a joke about how, if you're a literary scholar, this is the most obvious movie you'll see all year yeah. because <laughs> it's very in your face with its symbolism. Yeah. And he was happy about it, but he was just laughing because he knew most people would would not pick up on that like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but but really, that that whole pentangle is this Arthurian idea of friendship, generosity, chastity, courtesy, and piety. And these five things are essentially what would deem a knight noble right, right. and prove their honor. And every single one of these things are what happened to him in between accepting the Green Knight's challenge and once he finds the Green Knight at the end. Mm-hmm. And let's just go into spoiler territory. Oh, right. Because there's just no way to talk about this movie without spoiling it. And honestly, I almost wish I had gone and just watched a couple of videos that broke this film down and then went and saw it for hmm. the first time. Not me, specifically me. I just mean as a a general viewer, I think they would have a much better time with this movie if they knew what it meant before they went in. I honestly don't even think that would help somebody. Really? Real, like, I mean, somebody like us, yes. Yeah. But I think a general, somebody who's like... Just show it to me and then I'm done. A general person who goes to the movies, like sees like all the comic book stuff. Yeah. I feel like even knowing that stuff, I feel like the tone of it and the lack of it's, really action, I don't think maybe, this would grab maybe. a lot of people. And and I also, you know, side note, I get like we're sitting here talking about the general audience and it it sounds well, pretentious. Well, I yeah. get it. It's it's not that's that's why I keep emphasizing we've done that weeks before. It's there's not a right or wrong way to watch a movie. It's just different people have different preferences. Right. Some people will very much enjoy this process. Uh, the general audience, people who just want a movie for entertainment, are not going to no. enjoy it. Doesn't mean they're dumb. It doesn't mean anything. It just means they are not looking for this kind of experience from a movie. Mm. Um, and so anyway. Uh, so the, the beginning had me hooked in and mm-hmm. then it gets to this very long middle section and my brain did not understand that what I'm seeing are these tests of mm-hmm. honor. And I think they're supposed to be that subtle because he doesn't even realize that right. his honor is being tested yeah. along this way. And that's what the green knight knew was going to happen. And, and so each step of the way. He encounters something that forces him to to check these things. Right. And, and even when he deals with St. Winifred, where she wants him to go into the pool and retrieve her Head. skull, yeah. the ghost does. Uh, even that, he's he's almost there. He's being very courteous. This is his test of courtesy. He's helping out somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, or friendship or whatever else you want to say here, but then the, at the last second, he looks at her and he says, what do I get for this? Right, right. And right there, and yeah. she even says, why would you ask that? Right, why would you ask me of that? Yeah. yeah, a knight wouldn't ask that. And right there, he fails. He always gets right up to it. Even when he gets to the green knight at the end and bends down, he flinches. Mm-hmm. He's he's always almost there, but he's just not quite the person that he thinks he's going to be. Mm-hmm. The original poem was, was this, uh, essentially this criticism, this satire of Arthurian honor and integrity. It was the idea that... Uh, you know, you people claim to be honorable, but it's really just surface. It's, it's what right. it looks like. But underneath it all, you're you're not really that. 
And that's where I feel like this movie is at its most timely and its most relevant because it feels like it's it's kind of looking at the world today and saying everybody has this position where they think they're so high and they're so great and everybody else is beneath them. Right. But put them to the test and no, they're not. Right. And it's, I mean, it even plays, I was, when I was reading up on the, the you know, the five points and mm-hmm. everything, it was saying how like, yeah, you have these five points that depending on, depend on each other, but if one fails, they all fail. Yeah. So it's, there's so much built into that and yeah. so much it says about like how we view ourselves and. Yeah. Oh, um, and that's even when he gets to that final test of piety where he just has to bend down and be brave. Right. You know, that's the same thing he was doing all along. He's scared. Mm-hmm. He's constantly afraid. And it's that fear uh, that that doesn't, it, it just holds him back mm-hmm. the entire time. It doesn't allow him to be anything. And so then you go into the larger thing. I didn't realize on first watch that his mother is Morgana, which is, you know, traditionally kind of the, the enemy wizard. Right. Uh, or yeah. the, you know, she was a student of Merlin and now... Uh, she's much more of a of a pagan focused witch character, mm-hmm. and so she very clearly in this movie summons the Green Knight. Presumably, uh, you know, my interpretation would be to get her son put on the throne. Yeah, from what I read, it was to it was to frighten or something to do with Guinevere. It was okay. to like shame her. There was oh, in some, the original poem? Yeah, there was something tied to Guinevere, yeah. but I really enjoyed how they used it in this, in the yeah. film. Um, it had much more of effect. Yeah, But I it was cool so. seeing that, like using the text and like reforming it in a little ways mm-hmm. to have more of an impact. It yeah. was really cool. Yeah. And and that was the, that's that's why I said it is a faithful adaptation, but it's it's not staunchly faithful. Right, right. It's really smart yeah. in what changes are made and in, in what it's presenting. Um, all of this is to say, you know, now armed with essentially the key code to the movie, mm-hmm. I I so want to see it again. Yeah. I want to watch it kind of understanding exactly what's on the screen and now watch it again. And And I wouldn't trade that first viewing because there's something about the mystery and realizing that you are not adequately prepared or educated or whatever else to fully understand a film, but to recognize that it's good enough that you want to go and put work into getting yourself ready so that you can rewatch it and get even more out of it. I love that process. Yeah. Um, I mean, I took it in as like, I really enjoyed it the first time. Like, I mean, it was taking in a lot especially in that middle period mm-hmm. of the film but it is shot so beautifully it really is and captures the countryside um and just makes it so surreal yeah. and epic and in the lighting and just how he uses every um inch of the frame because it's just these beautiful wide shots and just um that that was really really satisfying yeah. to me. And so not even knowing that stuff, I knew I was missing another level to it. Yeah. Um, and But I was still just really enjoying enjoying the uh, the scenery and just every aspect of it and just the surreal nature of the images he chose to put in there with yeah. like the giants and the fox. And um, and that's, I, I don't think I was actually bored. Yeah. I think I was just, I was aware of the fact that I didn't, understand something crucial Uh and it didn't ruin you know those other aspects of the film but i i could feel that i was at a disadvantage and i knew that 
because if if you just take it on face value, it's not much is happening. Right. And instantly you know, okay, there's more happening here. This mm-hmm. is too smart of a film and too smart of a filmmaker to have an entire hour stretch of the film where you have a lot of things, but they don't really mean anything. Right. And 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 so that was that feeling of I, I really want to know. Yeah. And now by the end, I I loved the last 20 minutes of this movie mm-hmm. were just Mm. It a little bit of Last Temptation of Christ, yeah, a little yeah. bit of La La Land. Uh, that's the first and oh, probably right. only I time even... I can connect those two movies. <laughs> there was a lot of song and uh, dance in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it just had that that idea of you know a character getting to glimpse an alternate future mm-hmm. and then coming back to a point in time where they can make a different decision. Uh, I I really appreciated how that was done. I loved how it was shot and conveyed. And it just, it was, it suddenly went dialogue free for probably 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And Uh, it was so beautifully done because you don't know if this is a vision or if this is truly happening because it's so subtly throughout the rest of that middle period, they've been hinting at this coming and thinking back on it where there's moments where he's kind of seeing himself as a dead body and other things. And, um, and you, you know those are kind of surreal moments, but you don't know that it's hinting at this long, tw- almost 20-minute section at the end where you're not quite sure if yeah. this is reality or if this is him having a vision of his future to come if he makes the decision he's going to make. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you think that was shown to him by the Green Knight or or do you think it was just like in that second he's having his life flash before his eyes? I think that's his... I think that's his epiphany. Yeah. I think regardless of where that's coming from, I think his mother intended for him to run away and be king. Yeah. I right. I think that was all proceeding exactly as she wanted it to. But I think there's still enough goodness in him that in this last minute, he he essentially envisions what would happen. And for the first time, he starts to grasp this idea that running away and not living up to his responsibilities and not really being honorable is just going to lead him to ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know where that epiphany comes from. I could see the knight doing it, but then it seems like if the knight was doing it, because the knight's genuinely impressed yeah. after he makes that decision. Right. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if the knight knew he was having that sort of vision. Yeah. But I don't know if it was given by the knight. Mm. I, I almost think that's an internal, it's coming from from him and what he's learned. Right. Yeah, I guess I could play into the other moments like that, too, yeah. of him just having this, like that moment where he is tied up at the, the his kind of first test of yes. the journey. And he has, that we were already spoiling it, but he has this vision of himself as a corpse. Basically, he's left there by these bandits yeah. and it does this three beautiful 360 turn that shot i i am convinced is the keystone of that whole film oh yeah that that explains everything before and everything that's going to come because it's all about him in that moment seeing in his mind that if i don't do something yeah i'm going to die here i'm going to die yeah. i will just be a skeleton in the woods yeah and then it's his his will to push past that inevitable future and do something about it. Yeah, and there's a key to that too because it's it 
in that, what was that first test like representing on the... Um, the first test is generosity because right. he's just going through the field. Yeah. The The boy offers him, you know, kind of advice and then wants to know if he's going to get anything. He already missed it. He didn't give him something. Now the boy gets offended. He still doesn't give him something. The boy gets more offended. Okay, well, fine. Here's one coin. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, he's coming from, from having plenty. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, from the beginning... You know, for somebody that's trying to be this this knight of holy Christendom, uh, you know, he's he's in a whorehouse on Christmas Eve. <laughs> he's, you know, there's there's all these different things happening. He is not an upstanding guy. He's not an honorable guy as as far as the the code of the knights or or Arthur's code would would be. So from the beginning, he's a hypocrite. And, yeah, and I never the rest took of the him. story is just him playing that out. Yeah, I never like I know we had this conversation on the way home, mm-hmm. but I never saw him as a bad person. I saw him as a young man who hasn't found yes. his way yet because there yeah. are moments of like you know, chivalry and like things, but it's just never goes to the farthest mm-hmm. point where it's not a selfless act. Well, and and I think what's really going on there is he was raised by his mother and his mother is not of that world. Right. His mother is this this ancient uh you know, kind of uh, nature, druid, right. yeah. you know, priestess, whatever you want to say, she's not going to raise him to be those things. But yet he's forced into this system where mm-hmm. to be what he wants to be, that's what he has to live up to. Right. So what he was raised to be and what he wants to be are two very different things. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm he's only a hypocrite in as far as he is declaring what he wants, but he's not actually that thing. He's not living up to that thing. Right doesn't make him inherently a hypocrite. Uh, I th- I think he's trying the best he can. I think he genuinely loves um, the girl yeah. uh, at the yeah. beginning. I, I don't think that's false at all. Even, even at the end, when you see a glimpse of what he would do if he came back mm-hmm. and how he would treat her, I don't think that's because he doesn't love her. Right. I think that's because— He's caught in a system. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he feels like he has to fulfill some role, right. and he can't do that with a peasant. Oh, yeah. he's going to be the new king. Well, he can't have— peasant girl yeah and the baby along with yeah yeah right uh and and so the more the more i thought about it the more i liked him because initially yeah my reaction was he's an unlikable character yeah well i wanted to bring up too um it's really interesting because you know in the uh the text really the only main test is him at the the lord's house Mm -hmm. All of that section where he's traveling really isn't there. He kind of ends up at the, the Lord's house and mm-hmm. he's tested. So what you bring up, the the five points, it's really interesting how he used that to expand that middle section yeah. and give him more tests to do and really put those five points of like the night's way to yeah. the to the test and see if he can live up to it. Yeah. So like we were saying, how they used it um the text, but rearranged it and used it to say things about modern life. That was a really smart, uh, yeah. smart use of that. Well, and I, I can see where where Morgana. That's that's her intent the whole time. Is she wants her son to fail all those tests because she wants to tear down that system. Right. Yeah. She doesn't want that to be the measure of honor because mm-hmm. that's not her world. And so she wants him to go out, break all these things, and still come back and become victorious. King yeah, and be victorious. Yeah. He sees, or he comes to an epiphany, or maybe he just thinks that'll lead to ruin. Good for him. But 
in her mind, that's exactly what she wants. Well, I mean, from the beginning, she doesn't care about any of that because no. she gives him that that belt the, yeah. the, that is enchanted to so he survives yeah. the encounter with the Green Knight. So, Which from the beginning is inherently dishonorable because right. you're cheating so the game. It's just the end goal of yeah. being king. So yeah, that none of that matters. He, yeah. She doesn't care if he's her, he lives up to this expectation yeah. of being this chivalrous knight. And you see that the, the whole kingdom is sort of that way because the Green Knight at the very beginning bends down and just gives him his neck. Right. And he beheads him. Yeah. And the court cheers him. And over the next year, he's he's proclaimed yeah. this hero. Yeah. And yeah. you even hear little versions in there where the story has gotten more elaborate. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Nothing about that was honorable. Right. He just walked up to somebody defenseless and, and yeah, cut he off laid their head. down his weapon yeah. and said, yeah, Take your blow. An honorable knight would have walked up and you know who demanded knows? Nicked, a, him, a, nicked him or given him a little scratched or, or demanded just, a fight yeah, like and, yeah. and refused to go along with it yeah. unless he fought him like a, a knight would yeah yeah so uh all in all i mean we could talk about this <laughs> for a long time it is a dense movie and is definitely one i look forward to talking about more because i do want to watch it again but i i would not recommend anybody going to this movie without the idea of i'm going to give this it's proper due and I'm yeah. going to take it on its terms and I'm going to come back to it on its terms and I'm going to give it more than just one shot. I honestly am glad I didn't look up anything about the, the original text or anything before, because I know then I would be looking for it. And I really enjoy going into a movie cold and then knowing that there's more underneath of this that I'm not aware of. Yeah. And then um, going and, researching it a little bit and like, oh, that, that that's way more fun for me because I, I get so distracted if I do that. Um, and it's so much more rewarding to then like piece it together, mm -hmm. then go see it again, knowing the whole like, breadth of the movie and then put those pieces into place. Yeah. That's fun for me. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I recommend it with, with kind of an asterisk. Uh, asterisk I to me that, that you you know just check into it and you know what kind of movie you're going to see to me I told my brother this because he hasn't seen this movie yet but I said watch a ghost story before you go hmm. because that will give you the if you don't like a ghost story I don't think you'll like this movie because it gives the tone of how David Lowry works yeah. and um if you're not into that, I don't know if you will be into this movie, even though it's a different setting and different characters. But it, Green Knight is a little more eventful than Ghost Story, but it has that same, you've got to be patient with it. Yeah, it takes its it time it and it, it's saying something about, um, both are saying stuff about time and just, and yeah. it's so character-based. And um, I just think it's a good window into the mind of, of that director. Yeah. Um, I will say one last thing is it's got one of the best, even though this is a, it's a side character, but best Merlin appearances. Man, yeah. yes. hundred <laughs> percent the best Merlin ever put on film. I mean, he does nothing, but he looks such thing. like Merlin. <sighs> like that's what I have in my head when I think of Merlin. Yep. It's so grounded and like, like, like there's so much, like you feel kind of the earth of Merlin. Like he came out of the ground. It's I so cool. I love just that shot. And they never even declare him Merlin. No, but you There's like this, this moment where Arthur looks over at him and he just gives this little eye twitch expression. Yeah. And he conveys something to Arthur and Arthur just listens to him in a second. And from the look and, and the kind of the reverence that Arthur gives him instantly, it's just like there is no other human being that can be 
but Merlin. Right. And there's a lot of cool stuff in there like yeah. that where it's just subtle world building stuff where yeah. you're they don't say anything about it, but like you know, like, oh, that's that person. Yeah. That it's it's really fun in yeah. that way. Yeah. Definitely one with with lots of things to find. Mm-hmm. Uh moving on to a, a very thematically similar film. <laughs> Uh, the Suicide Squad, uh-huh. which honestly could not be a more different. There is a movie long period experience. in the middle where it doesn't seem like a lot's happening. <laughs> <laughs> the Suicide Squad. If you took the Green Knight and you could cinematically map out how a movie functions, the Suicide Squad is the opposite of the Green Knight. Did you read up on the literary text for this too? I did. <laughs> I did. I, I uh, went back to the old English poem mm-hmm. and uh, ye old Suicide Squad. <laughs> uh, but the Suicide Author Squad unknown. is a, a pseudo sequel to David Ayer's Suicide Squad, which was an abomination of a movie. I uh, watched it. Good. It was awful. It had a few good things in it, but man, by the end, what am Jared I watching? Jared Leto's Joker? Yes. You love him. <laughs> but uh James Gunn helms the Suicide Squad and uh he's got he's got quite a cast to work with and it's essentially this uh, just ragtag group of of DC B-level villains, C-level villains that uh, a government agent named Amanda Waller puts together and sends them on kind of suicide missions for the US government. Uh, if they die, who cares? They were just villains working off their prison sentence anyway. If they succeed, yaha, uh, you know, U.S. government, yay. Yeah. And so, uh, wow, uh, this 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 was a movie. Clint, what did you think of The Suicide Squad? Um, like I said, I didn't see the original mm-hmm. um, Suicide Squad. Not, Suic- not, not the, the just Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad, but this is The Suicide Squad. Um, I... Uh, generally don't care about the DC universe mm-hmm. other than a, a Batman movie here and there yeah. that um, I'm looking forward to the next one. But uh, going to this, the only reason I was excited is because of James Gunn. Yeah. I've, I really like the guardians of the galaxy movies and um, his movie, super and what else? Oh, uh, Slither. Slither. I, yeah. so all that stuff has been really fun. Um, so going into this, I, I was excited. I mean, there was the cast looked fun. Um, the trailers were promising. It had all the the tropes of James Gunn, the really weird, the uh, the outlandish. Um, so I overall I I liked it. I I thought it was fun. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, I think I really wish I saw it in the theater for some of the bigger moments of the film. I feel like it would have had more of an impact than me mm-hmm. just watching this by myself on HBO Max at 10 I, o'clock at I night. Almost, I wish I had watched this with an audience. Yeah, I think yeah. it would have been really fun. And just, I think a lot of the jokes may have been funnier. Um, but generally, I had a, I had fun with it. I, I think the trailers may have given too much away. I was just about to say... Uh, even on Instagram this week on the Cinebabble page, that's what I posted. The Suicide Squad is a two-hour reminder that movie trailers reveal too much. Yeah. Uh, especially with the jokes and the yeah. gags and the big There's moments. Whole sections that I was It was like, all in the trailers. Yeah. And so I felt like I was watching those moments for the third or fourth time. And that's fine if, if I'm legitimately watching the movie for the third yeah, or fourth yeah. time. But it took so much of the wind and stuff out of it. I know. There's great sequences that are never in the trailer. I loved... 
where uh, Peacemaker and and uh, Bloodsport, Bloodsport are stalking through the village, killing yeah. people, uh-huh. only like, to find out to one up each other. Yeah, yeah. Only to find out that they're just these good-hearted rebels, right. That have actually rescued Rick Flag. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Not in the trailers at all. Right. And you know, those were the moments I really enjoyed. But then other moments, it just. It wasn't that it fell flat. It just, again, I felt like I had already watched it. But it's so as a DC movie, DC movies have had a very difficult time being cohesive, yeah. having a good third act, uh, having a tone mm-hmm. that that sticks to what it is right. from beginning to end. And this one, you know, I I really appreciated the voice of it. You could feel yeah. that he had creative freedom. Oh, yeah. And that he was having fun. Yeah. You could feel that everybody on screen was having fun. And whether you know the characters or not, they're zany enough that it works. Yeah, you don't really need to with a lot no. of them. It's just like it, they're kind of walking jokes. Yeah. Well, and it it declared itself. I was laughing uh, right out of the gate when Weasel, uh, spoilers, <laughs> when Weasel drowns. And it's just like, they haven't even gotten to the mission. And no. it's just this one moment where they're like, uh, did anybody check if Weasel could swim? <laughs> yeah. And this thing is just yeah. drowning. Yeah. And I, I, you know, stuff like that really kind of declares, and James Gunn's very good at declaring what a movie's going to be from right. the beginning. Yeah. And he holds that tone. I appreciated that, you know, he could just kill a character if he was going to kill a character. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the way that that he worked the team together. I liked some of the heart in there, even with King Shark, especially with oh. Ratcatcher 2. Yeah. And the flashes to her and her father. Yeah. Surprise, Taika. Taika. Yeah, Taika Waititi. Yeah. Uh, I, loved, I loved that kind of stuff. I think he is real. like, honestly, I think he's really good at character stuff. Yeah. And it, he did it so well at subtly making you care about these characters. And I feel like other DC movies try to do that, but they're so ham-fisted and heavy-handed yeah. with it yeah. um, that it doesn't work. It's like, you know, like, this is, I, I really feel like he's really good at yeah. making you care about this team. And it's funny because you've talked about comic book movies before, how they always have to get to the big fights or the big explosive stuff. I think he does it right. Oh, yeah. Where he invests you so much in the characters that by the time you get to those big over-the-top moments, like at the end of this, yeah. Starro, by the time you get to that, it's fun, yeah, and it's action-packed, yeah, but you just enjoy watching the characters mm-hmm. and what they're going to do. And, you know, somebody like Polka Dot Man, yeah. who is a walking, talking joke, somehow— But somehow you care about it. yeah. I, I grew yeah. to care about over yeah. the course of this movie, and I was, and, I was and I sad for and, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, he, you know, even when he has this big moment, I'm like, yeah, and yeah. And, that's something where it's not about the action scene, it's about the character. Yeah. And I think that's where DC movies have in the past really gotten it wrong. They go for the big scene, but they haven't invested they haven't you earned, enough in, yeah. in who these people are yeah. or what they are. And that's, I know you didn't see Suicide Squad, uh, the first one, but that's what it did a lot of. Right. It was these these big flamboyant characters, uh, you know, cursing and violence and all yeah. this stuff, but it didn't have the heart. It, they they were just expendable mercenaries mm-hmm. and not very likable mercenaries. So what do you care? This one really invested you in uh, these people are something. Right. And and maybe, you know, kind of that found family idea. They could be something to each other. Yeah. I mean, they really, from the beginning, like Bloodsport, his mm-hmm. character with his daughter, his relationship with his daughter, like that was really well done to 
seed that I mean, he has this family, he, he's made bad choices. He's a bad guy, but like he's human and he, and throughout the film, it's really interesting to watch him kind of come back to humanity. Sidebar that, uh, jailhouse scene between him and his daughter where they argue yeah. over her buying the smartwatch <laughs> yeah. is the most accurate depiction of a father teen I, argument I picture you and seen Levi put on screen. Yeah. The whole time I was watching that scene, I was just like, do they have cameras in my house? Because that uh, yeah, I, I I loved I thought that. of you during that. Yeah. From that moment on, that man was real to me. Yeah. He was a real uh flaw. I don't care about all the superhero stuff. I, he and I, I, I got him. Yeah. I, I get it. Now. I can totally picture you saying like, why would you steal such a stupid thing? And why didn't you have a lookout? Like yeah. you don't condone what he did, but it's just nope. like, but you're, you're just, just like being it. like, be logical about yep. this. Yep. Uh, and you know, and it, it did really good moments with that. I, I thought this movie used Harley Quinn better than even her own movie had. Yeah, I um, I still that was one of my biggest. I just do not like her rendition of Harley really? Quinn. Okay, there. I, now, did it, you ever like the character? Yeah. Okay. Like from I, I really enjoy the cartoon that mm-hmm. came out recently, the yeah. Harley Quinn show. I think that's much better representation of it. The humor is a lot better. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, in this version, um, I agree with you. I think it was done much better. But the only other thing that I have to reference it to is her movie, and I. We, I think we were going to do that movie before mm, right we stopped. Before quarantine. And I watched that and I watched it with Jenny. She still brings up that movie because she hated <laughs> it so much. And I did not like that movie. Yeah. It just irritated me to such a degree. So I had that baggage going into this yeah. one. So I still felt that residual, gotcha. like, I hate this character. But honestly, I think it was better. And I think he used her a lot better. Yeah. Um, In Birds of Prey, I felt like that movie was trying to be Deadpool. It was trying to be the DC Universe Deadpool. Yeah. And it was trying to make Harley Quinn that kind of fourth wall character. Right. And in this one, they still had those elements, but it was much more about getting glimpses into what's going on inside of her brain. Right. Uh, You know, the action scene where all the flowers and the cartoon animals. Didn't they do that Uh, in in the the Birds of Prey? I think they did uh, that. Not... I, I don't know. Because there's a whole scene in the middle of that movie where she's like going through a police station. Yes, but that's she's shooting uh, exploding uh, oh, like paint uh, things, paint, uh, gas, something okay, or other. It's very of. colorful like yeah. that, but it's not. I mean, it's it's legitimately happening right. in that world. It's not something that's in her head. Mm. Um, and so I like that those moments where it would pull from real Harley to kind of dream sequence yeah, Harley. Yeah. Because then you... You got a sense of, okay, this is who this character is in her lunacy. Yeah. This is how she sees herself. Well, I uh, the one problem I had, there's a whole section with her where she gets separated. Oh, when she, yeah, with the, uh, the dictator. The dictator. Mm-hmm. I really didn't care for any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I At that moment, I was kind of feeling like I, maybe I wish they had either just from the start, even though I really enjoyed the first opening sequence where it sets up why she's separated. Yeah. Um, but the whole section there where she's separated and on and um, apart from the other mm-hmm. um, team, I was like, why? I don't even enjoy I'm not enjoying this part of it. Yeah. But once she gets involved with the main action, the main team, I, I was much more on board with yeah. it. Um, I think she was a character that I, I think she was the only one that I knew there's no way this character dies. Yeah. For sure. She's she's the franchise yeah. anchor 
There's no way she dies. And you could just, you could feel that. You could yeah. feel she had plot armor. Yeah. And any other character. I mean, I, I expected um, Bloodsport to live. Yeah. And, and some things like that. But, but just about every other character, I'm like, it, it was nice having that feeling of not knowing who was going to make it to the next scene. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I think one of my main issues with, like, that was nagging me the whole time is just, like, I feel like at this point we've, especially with, like, Guardians and some other things that have come out in the past few years, is, like, we've seen this story done quite a few more yeah. times. Like, these, like, especially Guardians. It's just, like, I feel like I was reliving that experience. And, like, you know, the boys. And there's just, like, so many of these hard-hitting R-rated um, comic book movies now that like are so um, explicit and mm -hmm. it's just so it didn't have as much impact so I felt yeah. like I was kind of seeing it all over again but the, I thought it was funny and I think he does such a good job with character yeah. I, I did enjoy the ridiculousness of the end battle between this <laughs> giant starfish yeah. that was so James Gunn yeah. um, I and by that point I, I was invested in the characters and it was something different and silly enough yeah. that it wasn't just another giant mechanical thing crashing into buildings yeah it was it was so cartoony yeah. it was it was fun I I I'd enjoyed it and I really felt for like King Shark. I, I like they, that was such a weird. It was such a weird use of that character because mm -hmm. he honestly doesn't do much in the film. There's just moment. There are moments of where he's like eating people, and humor where he's interacting with the other team. But there were some really beautiful just moments of him by himself because yeah. like and you felt his loneliness, like not being a part. He of feels the, like the misunderstood one. Yeah, and like yeah. He, he is this kind of dopey character who can't like he's dumb yeah. and he can't communicate properly because he's this half shark man but there's these strange beautiful moments where he's on his own like experiencing things yeah. like where he's in the the um the the uh the water the tank. water tank room the aquarium room yeah. and he's like interacting with these little creatures playing. playing with these sea creatures and there's other moments in the film where they do similar things and that were really lovely and so there was a lot in there i did really enjoy but and I honestly had the feeling today, like, I want to rewatch it. Yeah. I feel like maybe I'll, like, maybe even rewatch it with Jenny because see mm -hmm. how she, inter, like, enjoys the humor of it. Because I think she would, even though she hated Birds of Prey so yeah. much, and I feel like it might take a lot of convincing to be like, no, this is much better. Yeah. Um, so I think I, um, if I watch it again, I feel like not knowing where it goes and enjoying, getting to enjoy the humor as a whole rather than you know the moments where like that were sticking out from the yeah. trailer they're like oh, i've seen this whole section yeah. before um i think i would probably enjoy it more i honestly i it's the best dc movie i i agree it, it is agree. It, it feels complete it feels like a it, everything matches and fits together really it feels well. like his movie it doesn't yeah. feel like the studio came in it doesn't feel like anybody came in no it feels like he was legitimately given you know, the sandbox yeah. he played and he got to make the movie he wanted to make. And, and that was nice. I, I think my only big issue with the movie is on one hand, I'm very happy that James Gunn made it. Yeah. He is absolutely the right director to make this movie. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm not happy that he made it because you can feel number one, it's, it's so similar in structure to guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. You can feel moments where it it feels almost mirror universe. Yeah, 
where you get these moments just like he already did that in Guardians 1. Mm -hmm. He already did that in Guardians 2. And that's it's not fair to him. He's got to be able to to show heart. And there's only so many ways you can show characters having a connection. Yeah. But there were just different times I was like, oh, that was a a Drax and Rocket moment. Oh, that was a Groot moment. Yeah, especially similar kind of character types. Yeah. Yeah. And so – you know, I, I think that was a disadvantage where there there were just some times where I almost wonder, because when he was writing this, when he first got the gig, he had been fired by Disney. Is, right. is this his, you know, in some ways, some of that's leaking through where, well, I'm never going to get to do a Guardians movie again. And so he's putting some of that into this and it just survived. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I agree. Like, I felt that in there, but also it was just refreshing to see a DC movie that was working, even though I I could feel those things. And I think he has a superpower as a director to like in very small, limited moments, like just subtle shots, like of like the rats and stuff where they're very um, expressive and to really get across that, um, there's a soul and you're supposed to be feeling something and it's not in a hand like heavy handed way. Like I said before, it it feels natural and it gives the characters a lot more depth than you would think they should even deserve. And the other thing for me, it's not a criticism because uh, this is another both ways. I'm really glad there wasn't a Batman appearance. There was no oh, Superman. Yeah, yeah. There was no Joker at the same time. Like, what would James Gunn have done when they make the reference about Bloodsport almost killed Superman with a kryptonite bullet? Yeah. What would the James Gunn scene, the little 30-second flash of that, what would that have looked like? Yeah. If he just got to play with one of those characters for a little bit. Like if he had done, like, a flashback to that moment. Like a Family Guy style. Yeah. You just get a side flash. Yeah. Well, I mean, Um, they kind of did that with, like, Taika's character. Yes. I I, I just meant, you know, with some of those bigger characters. I know. That's what I mean. So it wouldn't have felt out of place if he had done that. Yeah. So, Uh, again, uh, probably I (laughs) I would much rather they err on the side of, like, you don't need that. Make this movie its own you know, you're in this world, so you can make little references, but you don't need to show it. But at the same time, I wouldn't have minded seeing what James Gunn would have done with that. Yeah, that would have been fun. So, but yeah, uh, I, I recommend it. It was fun. I yeah, that's how I felt too. It was I, fun. It didn't. It didn't. You know, just blow my mind or no, or just you know, like ah, it just it was good. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, I do want to watch it with Levi. I think that'll make it mm. more fun. Yeah, like I'll probably have a a good time just watching him be a 16-year-old boy with a movie like this. Yeah. And I think, like, maybe if I was... I don't know. I'm trying to think back to my reaction to Guardians. And Mm -hmm. I think I really enjoyed, especially the first one, um, so much because it was such a new, like, world Mm -hmm. in the Marvel universe to explore. Because Mm -hmm. that was, like, the first one where it goes, like, interstellar. It goes out in space. So to see it expand that way was really fun. It was was also one I don't think either of us knew any of those characters. I mean, I know they were big characters in Marvel Comics, but and I had read comics, but I never really cared about or come across the Guardians. Yeah. So it was completely fresh. Right. Whereas with this, I've got the Harley Quinn show. I've got the Harley Quinn movie. I've got the animated series from old. I've got... All of these things, I have I have a lot of residual DC knowledge about most of these characters. Even Polka Dot Man, mm. I get that, okay, that was that weird character in the, the 60s or 70s that's always a joke. And, <laughs> you know, okay. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was yeah. fun. I don't know. 
Yeah. Is better than fine. It was fun. Yeah. It was enjoyable. <laughs> I, enjoyable. I, I did. Had, I had fun with it. Um, definitely the best DC movie. Yeah. I'll say that. Agree with that. Uh, the third movie, and watch me remember this title because I'm staring mm-hmm. right on my screen. Mm-hmm. I think we're alone now. And uh, I think we're known now is an American post-apocalyptic romance drama film uh, from 2018, directed by Reed Morano. And he also did the cinematography. Uh, but it she stars... Did. She? Yeah. Well, just everything's right out the window. <laughs> this is a female director? Yep. <sighs> she directed the first four episodes of Handmaid's Tale and the guy who did the really? music for Handmaid's Tale. See, I didn't Tale. do my homework. Yeah. And I just assumed, and I made a gender assumption... And mm. this changes everything, but really nothing. So anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but it stars Peter Dinklage and Elle Fanning as two survivors who learn to live together after a worldwide pandemic, timely, yeah. wipes out Earth's population. Clint, what did you think of I Think We're Alone Now? Like I mentioned before, we were. this was our Sinatron movie that we were supposed to do before the world shut down. Yes. And Ken ironically. and I were separated. Ironically. Uh, yes, ironically. Um, so I got to rewatch this movie and so you had already watched it I watched once. it once. Okay. Um, so this was my second time watching it and it still felt like it was the first time I watched it because <laughs> my brain, like we've talked about, just does not want to absorb the information this movie wants to give me. It just now, bounces off. It's strange that both of us have that experience. What about this movie is so intensely and immediately forgettable? Well, it is... I am usually a sucker for post-apocalyptic anything. Oh, me too. Absolute sucker for it. Give me some world building. Give me some weird characters in that world. And I am set. But this one. Well, I mean, it it picks up and it takes place like kind of after. I mean, it's not in the middle of a pandemic. It's like a few years down the road where this man's surviving in this town. So He thinks he's the last person alive. He's the last person alive. He's in his like set in his ways. He has his own little utopia where he's living his life. He's found his system for survival. And he's going around and basically cleaning up the town and burying the dead. Um, But it's just like one of those films where it's just there's – very little dialogue. There's, it's just very, it's, there's a very soft feeling to it mm-hmm. where he's just, it's very, it's how it's shot. It's very like kind of warm feeling. So it just feels like you're like, I, maybe it's partly I've watched this late at night both times. And it's just like it's somehow soothing. And to the point where my body just like <laughs> shuts down and my mind shuts down and it just does not want to take in this information. Um, uh, overall, I think you're being way too kind the, to this movie. The characters, I could care less about any of the, what the relationship between these characters are. I don't understand exactly what the relationship is. Um, so did I say that how I felt about this movie at Not all? Not yet. Okay. I, I just don't care about this movie very much. <laughs> I've tried. I've watched this movie two times. And... <laughs> After learning, like I did my tiny bit of Wikipedia research for this film and finding out that she's directed the first four episodes. Mm-hmm. I think she's ex- executive producer on Handmaid's Tale too. She directed the first four episodes, the pilot. And um, Adam Taylor, he did the score. It does the score for Handmaid's Tale. It kind of clicked into place for me a little bit because honestly, this has a very similar tone to the early episodes of Handmaid's mm-hmm. Tale, where there's a real softness and subtlety to that world too. 
But there's a real engagement to that world through the characters and the events. The post-apocalyptic nature of that world feels so real. Even though, I mean, this feels real. I mean, it feels like, okay, this guy's, there's nothing abnormal or weird about it. But in that, there's no, it's just like everyone's dead. In Handmaid's Tale, there's this, like, this horrible government um, that's in charge of everything that's suppressing all the women. And so there's like a real stakes to it. There's no stakes to this movie. Everyone's already dead. This guy's just surviving. And then this girl comes to his life and that's it. So I just did not care. And I'm also watching uh, the last man on earth Mm -hmm. with um, Will Forte. And it's kind of the same story. The exact same story, but there's so much that's engaging about that that version of the events. Yeah. It's it's funny. There's outlandishness to it. There's the character who is off the wall. You hate him one moment, you love him the next. So there's a real um, r- like relationship you form with this character. This one, I never, I I didn't care. Ken, what do you think of this movie? I hate this okay. movie. <laughs> I hate this movie so much. I've been sitting here patiently while you are being way too nice to this movie. This is a terrible movie. I feel like I'm trying to express a lot about this movie because there's so little to like even like say about it. I this is one of those movies. I whatever's about to come out of my mouth, I'm going to feel bad about later because I have such an intense dislike for this movie that I really think the reason I can never remember anything about it is my mind is is doing a full defensive mechanism kind of thing where it's trying to make me forget something that will hurt me. Yeah. And, and I just, number one, these characters, this are our two main characters, are so incredibly boring. Yeah. And and lifeless, mm-hmm. and that's that's the difference between this and Last Man on Earth. Because Last Man on Earth, to me, is something where you really get the sense of somebody at the end of their rope, and yeah. who all the different aspects of their personality are just kind of coming out to play. Sometimes, you know, rightfully so, and other times by complete surprise to right. the character. Yeah, and so there's always something that's happening, and they're being surprised by themselves. In this, Peter Dinklage is real mopey. Mm-hmm. And uh, Elle Fanning is real just all over the place. Yeah. And so it's it's like your classic odd couple, your your oil and vinegar, um, you know, all of these things. Uh, and, and it just – did I say oil and vinegar? Is it oil and water? It's oil and water. Oil, oil and, and vinegar water. is something you put on a salad. <laughs> <laughs> it's these, two, these two are not primed for, for lettuce, but – uh, it, they no. just that that was my problem. There was nothing about these people, particularly Dell, uh, Peter Dinklage's character. There was nothing to pull me into it. And I appreciate he's done this since the station agent. Very rare. I think Game of Thrones may be one of the few exceptions. Very rarely do they ever make the fact uh, that that he is a dwarf. Oh, yeah. Very rarely do they yeah. make that a part of the plot. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, there are other times when that becomes distracting. Yeah. So in Station Agent, he already had these kind of pre-existing relationships. Uh-huh. People already know who he is, and so they've already accepted who he is. And so the fact that it doesn't come up, no big deal. Yeah. This, he's meeting somebody and meeting multiple people for the first time, 
And it just, it feels like this moment of she's acting like John Hamm's standing there. She makes a joke, but uh, that's she it. She does, but it's it's this awkward, like, well, we have to address it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I don't want, I'm not saying the whole movie has to be about somebody's, what makes them different. It's just one of those things when you have two last people on earth, it seems like that would be a thing. It would it would be something that you talk about. It would be something that you address, or there would be a conversation about like, "Hey, what's life like that?" And mm. and there's well, there's no point where these characters are looking at what's unique about each other and having any sort of conversation or relationship based on learning about each other. There was no moments of them trying to no. like learn about each other at no. all. There and was, that's that's why it makes it so baffling. By the time he gets her to the commune and he's ready to leave her, but then he gets all sad and mopey somehow sadder and more mopey and and he wants to have some kind of reconnection why well it he just, was there to rescue her i understand that but it's just that idea of you he finds her generally a a frustrating personality yeah and so i never bought into the connection that they have oh i didn't either and i also like the romance part of it okay yeah. um i know she's She's like in her twenties, but it she she plays very young. So in this movie, you could believe that she's like fourteen years old or something. So that relationship that that sparks it, to me felt really creepy and mm. weird to me, and that was off putting. So yeah. it was just like, especially when you like go through the film and there's no moments of real connection, other than like she just sticks around. Yeah. And there's no moments of bonding or anything. And then you have to believe that they're going to form this relationship, this romantic relationship. And by the time they introduce sci-fi elements like the behavior modification yeah. surgery, I, I was done. Like, yeah. no, no, no. You haven't earned this. I know. I I, I just, I hated. Yeah, and especially hated like, this movie. and especially what it's trying to say, because it's like, he's been doing all these things to suppress these memories mm -hmm. the way through, through his methods but then like we're using our methods to comfort people but it's just like it's so little too little too late yeah. and it's just like such a hand like thing that slapped on at the end to try to make this world feel more um science fiction and there's other greater things happening yeah. And, uh, and it's just it's uh yeah so the green knight uh, 100% give this thing a watch, but just be ready to give your brain a little bit of a workout and be ready to come back to it more than once. Suicide Squad uh, was good fun. Uh, give it a shot. I think I'm going to watch it again as well just yeah. because I think um, I'll enjoy it more. But I, I I, do think you're right. I wish I would have watched it with a crowd. I think it would have been much more just fun. Just seeing some of those moments big would have been really fun. Yeah. And, it's, and I was so glad after seeing Green Knight like and that scale it made yeah. those landscapes feel so much bigger yeah. and i feel like this would have really yeah. been benefited from that and uh i think we're alone now i think i've got that title now highly recommend now just man just skip <laughs> right every on by sometimes you, you just need to let a movie go and and just uh, let it yeah if quarantine takes a movie away from you it, it you don't need to go back to oh, it i was so mad <laughs> i watched this the first time on netflix mm -hmm. free this time couldn't find anywhere so i had to <laughs> rent it yeah yeah you paid money to not enjoy this movie a second time yeah i'm sorry it's okay all right let's give Senatron a spin and see if it does us dirty again 
Ken, have you heard of this one? You're going to have to say the title. <laughs> hmm. Atlantics. Atlantics? Yeah. Uh, no. It's on Netflix, I believe. Okay. Um, Haven't. I don't think I I've think come it, across like that. Fall, it's like a romantic uh, drama, sci-fi, futuristic worlds, and set in okay. Somalia. It, yeah. Okay. It looks pretty cool from what I've seen of it. All right. Well, you know. It has good reviews. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking it up now, and I'm just looking at images. It's a very interesting movie. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I've done some good subtitles. I'm assuming it's subtitled. I believe so. All right. Sounds good to me. So Atlantics. Yeah. And I believe we are also going to watch Pig with Nicolas Cage. And I think we're talking about watching the Val documentary, mm -hmm. which uh, the Val Kilmer documentary, which is on Amazon Prime for free right now. And uh, we had had a question about who does the narration, because in the trailer, it sounds very much like a very convincing yeah. Val Kilmer. It's his son. Oh, really? Uh, it's his son doing the narration oh, in first really person cool. as his dad. but. Yeah, it's it's one. It's really cool, but it's really dead yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I I was really convinced that that was Val Kilmer's voice, and yeah. so I'm I'm looking forward to that one. But that's one I'm blocking off. I might watch it tonight. I think I'm gonna block off just kind of the night and <laughs> sit in the dark and prepare to feel real low. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's just something about the trailers for this that that really makes me think, oof, this is gonna be a heavy flick. Yeah. So, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I was really excited to see it popped yeah. up on uh, Amazon yeah. when, yeah. you know, you got Prime, you can watch it. Absolutely. I was not expecting it to be free. So I was like, woohoo. Yeah. All right. Bonus. Well, this has been episode 34 of Cinebabble. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Cinebabble. Uh, you can also find us online again. The website is back up at cinebabblecast.com. You can contact us on there. You can send us ideas, criticisms. Is there an email uh, yet? There is an email. Oh, cool. I think it's contact at, at oh, cinebabblecast.com. Awesome. But I haven't verified that it works. I should probably mm. do that. Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun last time you guys were sending us emails and feedback and uh, giving us ideas for for other things to do. Although we got our first bad review on Apple. I would not recommend going and reading it, but it's funny because the guy calls us uh, it's it's uh, men for men is the username. Uh huh. And men for men calls us derivative and insipid hmm. derivative and insipid. So, you know what I did, Clint? What you what you do? I took a werewolf's within uh, image where they're all kind of crowded in the hallway, you know, scared. Yeah. And uh, I put Cinebabble and I put uh, experience the podcast that Men for Men calls <laughs> derivative and insipid. And I uh, boost posted that on Instagram and people love that ad. And a bunch of people went to our website and listened to our podcast because of that ad. So Men for Men. Is that like a men's you. rights? Uh, probably <laughs> actually yeah i bet i bet you because that is definitely somebody that would not enjoy us yeah okay yeah, yeah. if it's a yeah. men's rights thing yeah you can yeah go so away. <laughs> i i had a good deal of fun with it and it's it's brought us some new listeners so if you're here because of men for men's horrible apple review uh thank you for listening and and thank you men for men for being derivative and insipid and so, yeah. thank you <laughs> So yeah, this is this has been episode thirty-four of Cinebabble. Uh, super happy to have you guys around. And Clint, I, I guess I'll see you next week. I'll see you then, Ken. All right. Bye. Oh hey. Mm. Mm.